Well, good evening, everybody. Great to see you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm part of our preaching team. And uh, welcome uh, tonight. You know, some places uh, just seem like they're designed to be a trap. They're designed to be like something you can't get out of. Uh, like, for instance, Costco uh, sort of feels like that. Uh, you know, they keep moving stuff around. It's like, wait, where's the bread? Where are the pretzels? I, what happened? And, and they just kind of move stuff around to keep you stuck there, right? You're, you never feel more stuck than Costco you know, the day before Thanksgiving. So, uh, you know, Costco's like that. Social media apps are like that, right? They have, they've invented this thing, you know, infinite scrolling, where you just go and go and scroll and scroll and scroll. And, and the algorithm just keeps giving you stuff. Like you could never get to the end of it. And it's designed to keep you trapped. Netflix is like this, right? The show ends and its next episode begins in five, four, three. All right, here we go. And you're trapped. Uh, the last few years, my daughter, Caitlin, has been playing in some uh, volleyball tournaments in Vegas, and so they stay nearby in the, you know, the things at the casinos, and you're at the casinos and walking around, and you see some people that look pretty trapped. Uh, they look trapped, and the whole casino's designed, right? And by the way, uh, the kid version of casinos, Peter Piper Pizza, uh, that's also designed to trap you, to keep you stuck, so you never get out of there. Um, you know, club sports, competitive dance, youth pageants, you talk to parents who are coming out of those, right? And you can tell, they're like, get out while you still can. Get out, right? This is, our kids, you know, they, have like, they make them play the recorder, I guess the recorder is like an affordable instrument for everybody, so everyone has to go hate themselves and listen to this recorder concert, right? And they stagger them like one age before the other. And the parents coming out of the first one, they're like, get out while you still can. Don't come in here. And, uh, and that's really the big idea tonight. Get out while you still can. The verse that we get that from is chapter 18, verse 4. The voice from heaven says about Babylon, come out of her, my people, Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Get out while you still can. We're nearing the end of Revelation. We've got just a few more weeks. And here at the end of Revelation, we're introduced to these two cities. There's the city representing the world and all of its power. That's Babylon. Then there's the city representing the kingdom of God and all of its power. That's the New Jerusalem. Interestingly, both cities are represented in these chapters through the image of a woman. In chapter 17, the image of Babylon, the worldly city, is a prostitute. In chapter 19 and 20, the image of New Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, is a bride. In fact, if you flip over to Revelation 19, verse 7, you can see a little picture of this, and we'll get a fuller picture in chapter 20. It says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're the bride of Christ. You're, the, you're a son of the Father. You're the bride of the Son. And you're the home of the Holy Spirit. You're, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus to forgive your sin, if you've trusted in Jesus and he's the Lord of your life, if, he's tr if you've trusted Jesus and you're now united to him by faith, then you have a different loyalty. You have a different citizenship. You have a different identity. And, and no longer is your home Babylon. So get out while you still can. That's what we're looking at here tonight. Babylon is doomed. The way of the world is doomed. The powers of this world are doomed. So get out while you still can. Don't, 
find your allegiance here. Don't find your hope here. Don't find your loyalty here. Don't find your future here. Get out while you still can. Here's what we're going to look at tonight is, so we're going to ask four questions as it relates to Babylon. Babylon, again, is this image. We'll unpack this in a moment of the worldly kingdoms. What is Babylon? What is Babylon's power? What is Babylon's future? And how do we get out? That's what we're going to look at. What is Babylon? What's its power? What's its future? And how do we get out? That's where we're going. Let's pray together. Um, Father, I pray that you would help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. God, just like you called your people Israel out of captivity in Babylon, you're now calling your people, the church, out of idolatry, out of captivity to sin, and into a life of freedom. Help us hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question here is, what is Babylon. And so you have to think about this really in terms of how the whole book of, or how the whole scripture describes Babylon. And that begins in Genesis chapter 11. So in Genesis chapter 11, even though humanity had been told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, the people have gathered in this city called Babel in Genesis 11. And in this city, they're building a tower. And it says that the point of the tower is to make a name for themselves. They're trying to say, hey, rather than go spread the name of God across the world, we want to make a name for ourselves by doing this thing. And so God scatters them. Uh, This is when he scatters the language. That's our first introduction to Babel. Well, over the course of scripture, what you end up seeing is that this, this new city develops at some point. This is all like modern day Iraq, Uh, Babel becomes Babylon, which becomes not just a city, but also an empire. And this is a ruthless, godless empire. It's an empire that ends up destroying Jerusalem, destroying the temple. We read about that in 2 Kings 25, taking Israel captive. All the stories we read about in Daniel are all these young men who've been brought into captivity in Babylon. And Babylon becomes this sort of type it's a, it's, a, it's a type, it's an image of all kinds of godless, sinful, evil, rebellious uh, cities and empires and mentalities, right? We, we have these different types. Like if someone says to you, man, dude, you're such a Boy Scout, such a Boy Scout. What are they saying? They're saying, hey, you're just always trying to do the right thing. You're always prepared. You're such a Boy Scout, right? If someone says, hey, hey, sweetie, watch out for this guy. He's a real Casanova. Well, do you know where that comes from? That actually comes, there's a real guy in the 18th century, uh, an Italian guy named Casanova. And he, he was one of the first people to write about all of his exploits of, you know, conquest over women. And so that became known as a type. Oh, well, that guy's a real Casanova, right? It's the same thing. Babylon is representing godlessness, sin, evil, and rebellion. And then in the book of Revelation, Babylon specifically is representing the empire of Rome. Now, Rome was the empire in charge of the place where these uh, churches in modern day Turkey were. And so they were familiar with this. And there's a few places we see this description, but first just just look at the description of Babylon that's given. And we're gonna be here tonight, just so you know, in chapters 17, 18, and the beginning of 19. So reach under the seat in front of you if you don't have a Bible, grab that, and uh, that way you can follow along with me. But Revelation 17, Starting in verse one says this, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, so we looked at last week, all the judgment that was coming. One of the angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on the many waters 
with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. This woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So Babylon the Great is this is described as this great prostitute. And uh, then there's some references here that, that make us, that signal to us that probably what the author has in mind here is that Babylon's current form in these days is Rome. Uh, verse nine says this, this calls for a mind with wisdom, the seven heads on which the beast, on the, which she, she, she's writing, the seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings. And lots of commentators point out that Rome is the city known as the city of seven hills city of seven mountains. So she seems to be uh, taking the, the, the power of, of Babylon is now infusing and informing Rome. She's riding on this evil beast. And it says in verse four, she's arrayed in purple and in scarlet. That's interesting because uh, purple was the color that the Roman emperor and senators wore. Scarlet was the color that the priests wore. So she's taking on this image of of Rome. Now, one of the things that I think is just so subversively cool about this is that the, um, the, the Romans were very proud of themselves. And one of the things they loved, like we have Lady Liberty, they had Lady Roma. And Lady Roma, you can find these statues of her, you can find these carvings of her, these insignia of her. She was part of the like propaganda telling the glory of Rome, Lady Roma. And, and so I love how God says, hey, hey, Lady Roma, she's a whore. She's a prostitute. Like, this is the ultimate yo mama move right here. Uh, God's like, no, 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 no. I, I see what she truly is. And so Rome fell, but get this, this is important. Rome fell, but Babylon remains. And the spirit of Babylon continues. Continues in Beijing, in Los Angeles, in London, in Paris, in Rio de Janeiro, in Nairobi, in Istanbul, Washington, D.C., Tokyo, anywhere that the powers and principalities of the world are gathered, Babylon is there until this moment when Babylon is ultimately and totally destroyed. So that's what Babylon is. Babylon is this spirit describing a kind of mentality. And, and what is its nature? What is it like? That's the second question. What is Babylon like? You know, it's, it's kind of important to at sometimes go like, at, at its core, like what is something, right? Like water at its core is wet. Strawberries at their core are sweet. Daughters at their core are delightful. What is Babylon at its core? Well, at its core first, Babylon is demonic. It's demonic. The spirit of the world is a spirit of demons. This uh, woman, it says in verse three, is sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, seven heads and 10 horns. Lots of people wonder, what does that mean? What are the heads? What are the horns? Uh, I'm not sure what they mean, but here's what I know. That same image shows up in chapter 13, describing the first beast that was empowered by Satan. And so 
Babylon is demonic. It transcends one city. It transcends one moment. It transcends one era. Anywhere there's the spiritual forces of evil at work in this world, there Babylon is. Babylon is demonic. At its core, Babylon is also deceiving. That's the the language here of a prostitute is someone who's trying to appeal to you, trying to seduce you, trying to say, hey, come on in to me. It will give you all your greatest pleasures. And really, she's just using you and throwing you out. The nature of Babylon, it's deceiving, it's intoxicating. Verse 2 talks about the dwellers on earth have become drunk with her power. The same kind of language is used in 18 verse 3. It says, for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And chapter 18 verse 23 says, your merchants were the great ones of the earth and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. It's as though Babylon puts a spell on you. This is why you got to get out while you still can. Because it's de- Babylon's deceitful. It makes you intoxicated. It leaves you in a stupor. And this is the nature of how Satan is, right? Like, I think it's so funny. Right? We depict, especially, you know, just had Halloween. We depict Satan like, oh, yeah, if we saw Satan, he'd definitely be red and with a tail and with horns. Like, and you'd be like, no, he looks bad. I should avoid him. Right? Like, this would not be hard to figure out. But instead, 2 Corinthians 11 says, you know what, how Satan presents himself? As an angel of light. In other words, he's going he's gonna to twist himself to make everything look better than he is, right? In in Babylon, you you can promote all sorts of sexual sin and immorality, but cover it up with love is love. In Babylon, you can promote the murder of unborn children and call it reproductive health care. In Babylon, you can promote greed and label it under, I'm just trying to provide for my family. It's deceitful. It's intoxicating. That's because it's demonic. It's deceiving. It's also destructive. We read about the, uh, in chapter 17, verse 6, this woman is drunk with the blood of the saints. And so Babylon, uh, throughout its history, has never been a friend to God's people. Maybe for moments, the persecution ceases. Maybe for moments, there's elements of more or less freedom, but the spirit of the age, the spirit of every culture is not pro-Jesus. And Babylon is dominant. It's dominant. We see through this, it's, it's really interesting, in verse, chapter 17, verse 2, it talks about the kings of the earth, the dwellers on earth. Those phrases show up a bunch in the book of Revelation. That, that part of what the enemy is doing is he's captivating the, the, the dwellers on earth, the earth dwellers, and the kings of the earth. And then in chapter 18, you, you're introduced to this idea of the merchants of the earth. And in verse 3, the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. It's the merchants of the earth in verse 11 who will weep and mourn because no one buys their stuff anymore. It's the merchants who were the great ones of the earth in verse 23 who were deceived by its sorcery. So, so here, here's, here's what's so interesting. The dominance of Babylon comes when, when Babylon can get a hold of the kings of the earth, that's the political rulers, the dwellers of the earth, that's the ungodly, just average people, and the merchants of the earth, those are the people that are controlling the economy. By the way, isn't it interesting politically 
everyone can kind of handle a lot of back and forth, whatever, politically. But once the economy goes bad, throw the bums out. Why? Because the way you hold power in the world, the way you hold power in Babylon, the way the kings of the earth execute power is through the merchants of the earth. And so Babylon uh, here in this image, it's, it's pretty interesting. In chapter 13, there was the beast and the beast strength was military and violence. In chapter 16, you had the false prophet. The false prophet's strength was a religious deception. Now we're in chapter 18 and the prostitute, Babylon's strength is luxury, affluence, a great economy, up and to the right, lots of luxury. We see this even with the cargo list. This is a real specific example, but I think it's worth pointing out. Look at chapter 18, verse 11 and following. This, this is uh, chapter 18 is when Babylon is now being destroyed and people are lamenting and people are grieving and they're making a list of look at all we've lost. And this is all items of, of luxury, items of opulence, items of economic thriving, it seems. Merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, everything nice. No, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and slaves. That is human souls. I think we know that Rome wasn't the last empire to get wealthy trading human souls. Right? This is describing a kind of globalized economic market that to some degree existed in Rome and for sure exists today. So what's Babylon like? It's demonic, it's deceiving, it's destructive, it's dominant. And what's its future? Well, its future is another D. Its future is destruction. Its future is destruction. Babylon is doomed. And this is God's doing. This is God's plan. It says in chapter 17, verse 14, that Babylon will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the way that God will do it, it says, is that he's actually gonna put a plan in place. He's gonna ordain it in such a way that actually the beast and the prophet are gonna attack the prostitute, the woman, there's going to be this kind of inner turmoil in the world empires and it's somehow it's going to overthrow everything. That, that's not exactly how that plays out is not our main idea. But the main idea here is God is not going to let this last forever. So get out while you still can because God is against this. And the fall, the destruction of Babylon will be sudden. There's so much sudden language. Chapter 18, verse eight. This reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. Verse 10, in a single hour, your judgment has come. Verse 17, for in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. Verse 19, a single hour, she has been laid waste. This reminds me of the place we started our year, actually as a church. Earlier this year, we studied Luke 12. Luke 12, Jesus tells this parable about this man who had this bumper crop. He had all these extra resources and uh, he didn't think to be generous. He just thought, how can I build bigger barns so that I have more stuff for me? And in the parable, Jesus says, you fool. 
Don't you know that this very night your soul is required of you and who's going to have all the stuff you stored up? It, it, it makes no sense to be rich on earth and poor in heaven. Instead, put your treasure in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. Put your treasure there, Jesus says. Because if you don't, even though it looks so strong, even though it looks so enduring, it's just going to be over in a minute. And this is an enduring destruction. It says in chapter 19, verse 3, that the smoke will rise on Babylon forever and ever. God's judgment against the evils of Babylon will endure. It's a devastating destruction. Over and over in chapter 18, it talks about weeping and mourning, weeping and wailing, weeping and mourning. Why? Because here's the deal. If you put your hope in the things of this world and they are gone in an instant, then your life's over. Everything you live for, everything you prioritized, everything that you thought mattered, it's gone. This is a question we like to ask. Are you getting closer to your treasure or further from it? Listen, if your treasure's here and now, then as you die and as judgment comes, you're getting further from it. But if your treasure is Jesus, if your treasure is his kingdom and his righteousness, then you're just getting closer. And for those whom that is the case, the devastation of Babylon is glorious. Glorious. Look at chapter 19. It says, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Why? Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Get this, the church of Jesus Christ is praising God for the destruction of Babylon. You go, boy, that sounds mean. Well, here's what I know. I know some years ago, I was at my parents' house for dinner and we got this breaking news report. It was pretty late at night. It was like, hey, President Obama is gonna address the nation. We turn on the TV, what could it be? He said, we got Osama bin Laden. And nobody was like, oh, poor Osama, poor guy. We were like, yes, good. That guy was bad news. He, he did lots of damage to the world in general and to God's people in particular. Praise God for the sword of the government to put to death evildoers. Praise God for that. Now, if we would praise God for that, how much more would we praise the righteous God, the holy God, the never gonna make a mistake or possibly have any, you know, whatever problems, we're gonna praise him even more when he judges Babylon. That's Babylon's future. All right, how do we get out? How do we get out of it? If that's the future, like you don't want that future, don't invest in that stock, right? How do we get out of this? Because that's the command of chapter 18. Fallen, fallen is Babylon, chapter 18, verse four. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. Okay, but how? How, here's how. We have to repent as it relates to sex, money, and power. If we're going to be people who are formed by the kingdom of God, whose treasure is Jesus and not Babylon, then we have to repent of the ways, the Babylonian ways that we view sex, power, and money. You know, okay, why sex, power, and money? 
Is that just because you guys talk about that all the time? It is because we talk about it all the time, but it's because the Bible talks about it all the time, right? You see it even in this passage, right? Like over and over, this prostitute, the thing that she keeps seducing the kings of the earth with is called sexual morality. Now, we've said throughout the process of Revelation that sexual morality doesn't just refer to actual sexual sin. It refers, it's a, it's a, illustration of like a broader kind of spiritual adultery, but it doesn't mean less than sexual immorality. I mean, what leads more people away from God than sexual immorality? Not many things. So we've got to repent as it relates to that. Well, what about power? Well, what is it that Babylon is holding the earth captive with? Power, the kings of the earth, the merchants of the earth. Well, what about money? Well, the big problem is the luxurious living, the abuses that take place in the unbridled pursuit of greed. So sex, power, and money, it's a big deal. So if we're gonna repent as it relates to sex, what does that look like? Well, here's what it is. Come out of porneia and into purity. Come out of porneia and into purity. You're like, well, I don't, what's porneia? What's that word? You sure you don't know? It's the Greek word. I don't put a lot of Greek words up here because most of the time I don't know how much they help any of us. And... But that one, that's the Greek word that almost always is translated in the New Testament, sexual immorality. It's this bucket term to mean any kind of sexual desire, lust, activity, expression that is not between one man and one woman in marriage. Any of that is porneia. And I'm not gonna detail all the different ways it looks. You know. And, and here's what we're called to be if we're going to be out of Babylon. Is we, we have to come out of that and into purity. To be who we actually are, which is the pure bride of Christ. Now, here's something I believe with all my heart. Is that anyone who has uh, gone through puberty is a sexual sinner. So that's a lot of us in this room. Not everybody. That's a lot of us in this room. And here's the other thing I believe with all my heart. There is cleansing and forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ. That's what we looked at this summer as we looked at 1 John. We looked at how Jesus, it said, was the propitiation for our sins. He's the wrath absorber for our sins. And that if we confess our sins to him, it says in 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive us our sins. And it says he'll cleanse us. He'll purify us from all unrighteousness. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. I had an incredible uh, experience this week. Um, got invited in uh, with Molly, uh, my wife, to, uh, we didn't, it was kind of a surprise. It was, you know, Mark Andrews helped arrange it where we went in and, and met with the quilting team. We've got a quilting ministry here. And uh, so we go in this room and it's a bunch of these ladies who serve in this quilting ministry. And if you don't know this, it's one of the just coolest ministries, I think, in the church where uh, they get together a number of times throughout the month and they uh, sew together quilts uh, that are especially for people who are suffering, people who are hurting, people who are homebound, hospitalized, et cetera. And they write scripture on them. And as they tie them together, they pray over the people that are gonna get these quilts. It's just such an incredible, they've, they've given over 200 of these. And it's so cool. And so they knew that, yeah, you can give a hand to that. They said, hey, Luke and Molly, we know that this has been a tough year for you as you've carried a lot of extra pressure and different things related to Redemption Church and the stuff that's going on as we move toward being uh, from one church to 10 churches. Like, we know that's been hard on you. And uh, we made you guys a quilt. And so uh, we came in and they gave us the quilt and it was really precious and really sweet. We felt very loved. Um, and then they gave us this thing. I, I didn't even know this existed. They said, hey, when you wash it the first time, they gave us this little 
paper thing. It looks like a, um, like a dryer sheet, kind of. They said, hey, when you wash it the first time, make sure you put this in the wash because what will happen is uh, the, the, um, the ink that bleeds out, it'll all get absorbed into this little sheet. And that way, after that, anytime you wash it, it won't, it won't bleed. And I was like, oh my gosh, they gave me two gifts. They gave me an amazing quilt and a sermon illustration. <laughs> this is incredible. Because listen, that's exactly what Jesus does. That's exactly what Jesus does. If you say, I, I, I want to go in the wash with Jesus. Okay, here's what it is. All of your sin is going to bleed out on him. And he's absorbing it all. He's the propitiation. He's the wrath absorber. So that you now are not, you're not guilty anymore. You're not ashamed anymore. You're not defiled anymore. You're free. It's such good news. And so, so here's the thing. So if you're a follower of Christ, that's who you are. And so if we're going to come out of Babylon, we come out of an identity that says, well, I know I'm a sinner and well, I know I'm just going to constantly give in to this thing. Why? Listen, I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying it's simple. I know it's not. But, but what I want to say is if we're the bride of Christ, he's saying, come on, act like it. Here we go. Look at what he says in 19, verse 7. Let's rejoice and exalt, give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fi fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. How do we pursue purity? Well, here's how. Rather than, than engaging in a false intimacy, which that's everything porneia is, right? It's, it's promising, hey, you can, you can be loved, you can be accepted, you can be wanted, and it won't cost anything. That's false intimacy. It's easy. Because real intimacy is hard. It takes work and it takes effort and it takes understanding and it takes forgiveness and it takes a lot of things. And so we're tempted by the false intimacy of pornea. And so if we're going to walk in purity, then what we're going to do is we're going to pursue real intimacy with God. We're going to engage with him in his word. We're going to pray. We're going to confess our sins. We're going to walk with God. We're going to get to know him. We're going to get close to him. Because listen, if you're close to him, then the, the pornea, the prostitute, Babylon comes along and goes, don't you want this? And you're like, sorry, I'm full. And then we're going to pursue intimacy in the appropriate ways that God has allowed for us, depending on our life, right? So if you're a single person, then you need intimacy, not sexual intimacy, but you need emotional intimacy. You need friends. You need connection. You need people who really know you and you can feel known and you can know them, right? And so you got to pursue that. You need community. You need that kind of connection. If you're married, you need intimacy in that relationship. And, and, and there it can include sexual intimacy and it should, but, but that that intimacy is not just about that. It's about this overall oneness, right? This is why one of the things we do as a church is we offer a class a number of times a year called Road to Intimacy. We've had over 100 couples go through it because what we know is if you get intimate with God and intimate with each other, you're gonna be less vulnerable to get intimate with Babylon. So come out. Pornea, come into purity. As it relates to power, come out of partisanship, and come into discipleship. Spend a little bit less time on this, but my goodness. This time next year, there will have been an election. How are you going to feel 
this time next year. Let's just do a little predict the future. How are you going to feel? Who's going to win? I don't know. Someone no one's excited about. No matter what. Okay? But here's the deal. Predict the future. And here's what I want you to do. A year from now, will you look back at the last year and go, you know what? I was really known for my political rants. Or will you be known for, boy, I really grew with the Lord and started loving people and got in community and I served people and I got to share the gospel a couple of times with someone and no one accepted Christ, but man, it was so fun to have that opportunity and I'm growing as a disciple. What do you want? Do you want Babylon or do you want the kingdom? And, and listen, the partisan options, right? you can have a Democrat Babylon or a Republican Babylon. Which version of Babylon do you want, red or blue? Listen, and I'm not equating them. I'm not saying they're equally morally whatever. You can make your own judgments about which you think is worse. I know what I think. But here's what I know. Both are Babylon. No one's platform is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. No one's running on, let's love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and let's love our neighbor as ourselves. We got the Speaker of the House trying to pursue coming out of Pornea into purity, and he's ridiculed by the country for it because he has accountability software with his son and his computer. It's all Babylon, gang. <laughs> and here's what I'm saying. Vote, right? You got to pick, okay, which, which bad version would be better for me and my neighbors? Let's pick that. But, but I'm just saying, don't give your heart to that. Don't give your reputation to that. Give yourself to Christ. What about money? Come out of greed and into generosity. We, we don't like to think we're greedy, but we are. Right? Greed is where you go, I need more, more, more. And it's mine, mine, mine. Right? We, we, we are very religious about our greed. Like We don't even just shop anymore just for our needs. Right? We sometimes, we have a phrase in our culture. Have you heard this phrase? I need some retail therapy. I just need some retail therapy. It's been a hard week. I just need some retail therapy, right? And some of us, you get bored and you start scrolling Amazon and you can, I mean, it'll be there in the next 17 minutes if you click buy now and you'll feel a little bit better until you get it and you're like, oh, this still isn't making me happy and here you go. And, and we do this and it's very salvation language, isn't it? I need an escape. I need some fulfillment. Greed is always saying more, 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 mine, mine, mine. And I want to encourage you to come out of greed and go into generosity. Because greed, in the end, it will kill you. The story is told of how Eskimos hunt wolves. They're difficult to hunt for a lot of reasons. And so one of the things that the story goes that Eskimos will do to hunt wolves is they'll take their knives and they'll sharpen them really sharp. And then they'll dip them in seal's blood and let it freeze. And they'll do that a number of times, do that a number of times until eventually you have this like blood popsicle on a razor sharp knife. And they'll plant it in the ground, with the hilt in the ground and the blade up. And the wolf will come drawn by the scent of the blood and will start licking the blood popsicle and will lick and will lick and will lick and will lick and won't realize it when it gets to the point that it stops licking the seal's blood and is actually tasting its own blood. And at that point, they don't even have to kill them. They just have to let them bleed out. Listen, 
That's living for Babylon. That's living for greed. It's just you're licking and you're licking and you're licking and you're licking and you don't even know you're killing yourself. Don't do that. Live for something that's longer. Live for something that's better. This is, right, what's the antidote to greed that says more, 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 mine, mine, mine. Here's what it is. It's give, give, give. It's here, here, here. It's take it, take it, take it. It's share, share, share. Right, that's what it is. Right, and so that's what I want to invite you to. As you think about the end of this year, as you think about next year, as you think about your life, listen, if you spend 100% of the money you make or more, you're greedy. You're just like the kingdom of the world. If there's not some part of your money that you're prioritizing to advance the kingdom of God, then, then I can't, we, I don't know how you tell the difference between yourself and a Babylonian. And so I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm trying to invite you into a better way. So make this a year where you start doing some giving. Give to the church, give to other causes you, you care about. I think that you should give to your church if you love the church and want to advance the mission of the kingdom. But that's not even what this is about. Here's what I'm saying. You need to give even more than the church needs you to give for your sake. So that you can come out of Babylon and into the kingdom. Don't give your heart to Babylon. Give your heart to Jesus. Now, now here's, here's something I, I want to say this. I, we live in a weird tension and I, maybe there'll be time, some other time to explore this more, but there's a weird tension that I feel as I go through a message like this. If I'm going, okay, Babylon is the kingdoms of this world. What does that mean for us in the United States of America? I think it creates a really interesting tension. Because on one hand, and listen, you might totally disagree with me about this, but I believe for me personally that the United States of America is the greatest country on earth. There's nowhere else I'd rather live there's nowhere else I'd rather be. I think the freedoms we have here and just on and on and on. It's the best country in the world. And at the same time, you look at all of the power centers influencing it. Hollywood, Silicon Valley, Wall Street, Main Street, Washington, D.C., media. It's all Babylon. And I don't know what to do with that. It's one of these weird things where it's like, on one hand, I love my country. I'm going to stand up. Like I got to go to a World Series game, and like I had goosebumps as the planes flying over, and the boom, boom, the rod, rockets, red, yeah, yeah, America, yeah. Like I'm in. I'm all in on that. But but here's the deal, gang. America's going to end. The kingdom of God, and only the kingdom of God will endure. So don't give your heart to Babylon. Give your heart to Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the blessing of being part of your kingdom. And God, I pray that you would lead us as a church into repentance, that we would repent of our sexual sin and our political sin and our financial sin and instead find life and freedom. Thank you for the promise of 1 John that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. God, help us to live as your pure bride. We ask in Christ's name, amen.